The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Awesome. Well, good evening, Maranatha. You guys doing good? All right. All right. That was incredible worship, wasn't it? And now we get to continue on because we have a special guest with us, as you just heard. Uh, We have Brian Crawford from Chosen People Ministries, and he's going to be sharing with us. That's why we have this wonderful setup. And so we're taking a break from our studies in the uh, Old Testament, and we're going to be taking some time tonight to just dive in. And that's really one of the things I love about our church is we understand our connection to our Jewish roots and celebrating the feasts of the Lord together. And we know that this last Sunday was was Passover and how each of the, the feasts in Israel speak directly to us about Jesus. They point us to Jesus. And I think our hearts are going to catch fire tonight. Our minds are going to be blown as Brian comes and shares with us. And so I just got a chance to get to know him a little bit. We shared a dinner together, a board and brew sandwich was awesome. And so I want you to help me in making Pastor Brian here feel incredibly welcome as he shares with us about the Passover meal. Shalom. It's great to be with you here tonight. Let me tell you, I have heard the rumors Maranatha's celebration of the festivals are legendary. And I'm so privileged to be able to share the Messiah and the Passover with you here tonight. My name is Brian Crawford, and I am on staff with Chosen People Ministries. And uh, I actually am a local. I grew up in uh, Carmel Valley. I went to Torrey Pines and uh, uh, eventually joined the ministry and went out to New York City. And I'll tell you a little bit more of the story in a sec. But Maranatha has been a faithful supporter and partner with my ministry for almost the whole time I have been in ministry. Your missions team, led by Pastor John, is just amazing. They take such good care of us, and I can only imagine how many missionaries you guys support and have to take care of and pray for and send care packages. I've just been so blessed by your support all of these years. And my relationship with Maranatha has been on both coasts. Uh, I've both been here uh, several times to visit, but also uh, I had the privilege of going around New York City with Pastor Ray and Vicki a couple years ago. We went all over five boroughs, and we even went to a Yankee game, and we got to show him the the Orthodox Jewish sections of Brooklyn, uh, where I spent many years, and it's been just wonderful to be able to uh, partner with you, Maranatha, for all of these years. I want to introduce you to my family, who uh, unfortunately cannot be here tonight. Uh, This is my wife, Liz. We've been married for almost 14 years. My daughter, Natalie, she turns seven on Friday. David is four and a half. And then that little COVID baby is Nathan, nine months old. And unfortunately, uh, we wish that we could have had them here tonight. Unfortunately, as Daddy starts preaching, is bedtime for the kids. And so one of these days, we'll get them down here. But I'm um, I'm so thankful um, to be a dad of three and to be here uh, with you tonight. Now, my story in getting involved with, with Jewish ministry began right here. Left photo. How many of you, by a show of hands, have been on these steps? Yeah, I know, Maranatha, you guys do a lot of trips to Israel. You guys know that these are some of the only places in all of Israel where you can go to, where you can touch feet on the actual places that Jesus, that the disciples, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests actually stepped on 2,000 years ago. And that was me with my then-girlfriend, Liz. We went on a two-week trip to Israel with our Calvary Chapel during college. And it was on that trip in 2005 that the course of my life changed. I was going to be an engineer for the rest of my life with a nice 401k, nice, really cushy, happy career. And then... I went to Israel, and I talked to a bunch of Israelis, and the Bible was coming alive for me. I was underlining all these places as I went throughout the land. It was absolutely amazing. My faith was growing, 
And then I'm looking around at all these Israelis and I'm talking with some of them and ministering to them and sharing Isaiah 53 with them and their faith was dead. They didn't care that Jesus walked there, that there's an archaeological dig that's showing the New Testament to be reliable over there. They didn't care. And that really bothered me. I'd always been taught that the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Why haven't they accepted Jesus as the Messiah? That sent me on a quest to first learn what went wrong 2,000 years ago. And secondly, how can I be an effective evangelist to them today? Uh, my wife and I were able to go back to those same steps in 2018 with Chosen People Ministries. Um, it was a little bit different trip with a different context. We had 600 people and 19 tour buses that time. That was, that was a little different than the first time we went. But this is where it all started for me. Now, Chosen People Ministries exists to pray for, evangelize, disciple, and serve Jewish people and to help fellow believers do the same. And one of our foundational verses is in Romans 1.16, where it says, where Paul says, For I am convinced that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. We believe that we need to get the gospel to the original gospel bearers, the Jewish people. We need to prioritize getting the gospel to them. And I know you at Maranatha, you have a huge, huge heart for that. No Chosen People Ministries is all over the globe. Yes, we have a lot of staff members here in the United States, but wherever there is a major Jewish population center, we have staff members on the ground sharing the gospel, street evangelism, um, planting messianic congregations, and uh, things like that. Now, I want to introduce you to some of my former neighbors. These are photos that I took, and these are ultra-Orthodox Jewish men and a couple of ladies. And these are people who love the God of Israel, but they don't want to hear about Jesus being the Messiah. There are hundreds of thousands of Jewish people in Brooklyn where I spent nine years. There are two and a half million Jewish people in New York City as a whole. And there are so many unreached Jewish people in New York City and around the globe. But in nine years in New York, my heart particularly broke for the salvation of the more religious Orthodox Jewish people. There are so few people actually reaching them with the gospel. And it is my passion and mission in life to learn their history, learn their theology, learn their traditions, learn how they think so that I can translate the gospel into their worldview and explain how Jesus, how Yeshua is the Messiah. Well, like I said, I spent nine years in New York and now I live in California. Actually, I moved to Murrieta about a year ago. Uh, I grew up here in, Cal uh, um, in Carmel Valley, but uh, moved to be around my family in Murrieta, and that is my mom and my dad who are actually here tonight, and our brothers and sisters in the center picture. And then on the left side, that is, um, that is us at our new house that was being built. And then on the right side, that is the night that we got keys. Now, you may be wondering, how is it, Brian, that you can just leave New York City and just pick up and come to, come to California and begin your ministry? Well, I am in a unique position in that my ministry is online. I am the director of digital evangelism for Chosen People Ministries. And I really believe that the internet is one of the biggest strategic ways to get the gospel to Jewish people, not only in California, not only in Brooklyn, but around the globe. It's my passion to reach digital natives with the gospel. The next generation, like myself, I'm a millennial, we are not using old media like books, newspapers, radio, and TV. I'm what you would call a cord cutter. I don't have a cable subscription. I grew up reading newspapers because my parents paid for a subscription. I don't pay for one now. Where do I get everything? On my devices. That's where Jewish people are too. Now, when Paul wanted an audience, say in Acts chapter 17, he went to the synagogues to speak to Jewish people, and he went to the marketplaces to speak to Gentiles in a mixed audience. Well, the internet is my synagogue. That is where Jewish people are hanging out, and that is where I am spending my effort in sharing the gospel with Jewish people.
And I want to share with you three uh, initiatives that I am involved with. The first one is called About Messiah, aboutmessiah.com. That is for digital evangelism. This is for seeking Jewish people who don't know a whole lot about, uh, about Judaism or about Christianity. They're curious about Jesus, but they've got, they say, well, but I'm Jewish. How, how can I be a follower of Jesus or of Yeshua because I'm Jewish? But they, they've got this curiosity. That's about Messiah. Second is follow Messiah. This is for digital discipleship. You guys have probably heard, you guys are connected with the land more than most churches, but there's a huge move of the Spirit right now going on in the land of Israel, where 20-somethings and teenagers are coming to faith in Yeshua the Messiah through Hebrew-speaking evangelists, primarily on the internet. And it has created such, yeah, it's amazing. It has created such a crisis in the land of Israel that the congregations there do not have the staff members available to disciple all of these new believers. And so Chosen People Ministries is partnering with the Israeli congregations to offer Follow Messiah, which is a digital discipleship course going through the Sermon on the Mount with videos to walk these new Israeli believers and Jewish people around the globe uh, through what it means to be a follower of the Messiah. And then finally, Chosen People Answers. This is for digital apologetics. And this is actually my main focus in ministry. I built About Messiah last year during the COVID pandemic, just as we got started. We needed to have a site really quickly up during the COVID pandemic. I built Follow Messiah in about two or three years, but Chosen People Answers has been my passion for the last six years, and we only launched it in December. It is a brand new site, and I want to give you a quick sneak peek. On the right side, you'll see here that there is a screenshot of one of the articles on Chosen People Answers, and the title is, Does Belief in Jesus Result in Anti-Semitism? This is a real problem in many Jewish people's minds. They think that Christianity is the religion of anti-Semites. Now, they need to meet some Maranatha people to have that understanding change, but this is a big problem. The Trinity is a big problem. Torah observance is a big problem. There are all kinds of things that Jewish people have as problems against believing in Jesus, and I want to help them because I believe in a God of truth, don't you? There is an answer for these objections. And so Chosen People Answers is built on the principles of social media and video games, where every single paragraph, you can click on it, and you can like it, you can dislike it, you can comment on it, and you get points. And just like in a video game, you start out at level one with not many privileges, and you go to level two and level three. Yes, this is a online ministry built by a millennial who grew up playing video games, who loves the Jewish people, and loves apologetics. Put all those together, and that is Chosen People Answers. Thank you. So I would encourage you to go to chosenpeopleanswers.com and play around. Now, this is one of my first times actually sharing here from the stage. I shared here in 2013. I haven't gotten to meet a lot of you, and I would love to stay in touch with you from here on out. And so that's why each of you should have been given one of these brochures. Won't you go ahead and pull it out? Now, we can go new school or old school. You can go new school by sh going to chosenpeople.com forward slash pray for with the number four Brian, and you can do the same thing as on these brochures. But let me walk you through these brochures. If you open it up halfway, you'll see a biography of myself and my wife. If you open it up all the way, you'll see different ministries that we have available for you to partner with us. Um, I uh, know that you guys do Israel trips. We offer them as well. But we offer missions trips throughout the year in all kinds of different places to share the gospel with Jewish people. And Maranatha actually sent a team to New York City to partner with us to share the gospel on the streets of Brooklyn, I believe back in 2013. I think you guys are overdue. You guys should send another team with us in 2022 when we restart that. Shalom, New York. And so there's details about that here. Now, we're going to do the first of many ancient Hebrew ceremonies. Now, I learned this ancient Hebrew ceremony from my boss, Dr. Mitch Glazer. So maybe some of you remember this when he did the Passover here years ago. But this is the first, and the first ceremony of tonight. And when loosely translated, it is rip the slip. So, on the count of three, in Hebrew, we're all going to rip the slip together. Echad, shtaim, shalosh. 
Very good. Now, on the side with the large menorah, you'll see details about different ministry opportunities that you can partner with us in uh, with Chosen People Ministries, like on a missions trip or going to Israel. Down at the bottom, I know many of you have Jewish friends who do not yet know Jesus as the Messiah. You can put their name and their address, and we will send them a free evangelistic book uh, in the mail. On the side with the small menorah, you'll see that you can sign up to be on my monthly prayer letter by filling out either your email address or your home address. I send out a prayer letter every single month so that you will know how to pray for me, my ministry, family, how online digital evangelism is going. I would love to stay in touch with you uh, beyond just my occasional visits here uh, to Maranatha. And then down at the bottom, you'll see that you do have opportunities tonight. If you do believe that God is calling you to go an extra step and actually partner with me in my monthly ministry, you have that opportunity to uh, donate tonight. And so you can give these slips uh, to the ushers in the back on your way out, and they will, get them, they will get them to me, and we will be able to stay in touch from here on out. With that said, why don't we bow our heads and prepare our hearts for celebrating the Messiah in the Passover. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for this special evening where we can come together during Holy Week. Our eyes are on your son. We are fixed on your sacrifice, Yeshua. We thank you for the cross. We thank you even more for the resurrection that assures our new life in you. God, we ask that you would send your spirit, open up our eyes, open up our hearts through the Passover Seder to see you more clearly, to worship your son, and to have a deeper and more rich understanding of your Last Supper, Yeshua, and where we get communion. May our experience of communion be transformed from this night on. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, I pray. Amen. Now what you see in front of me and on the screen is the traditional setup for a Jewish Passover Seder. This is one of the oldest continuously celebrated religious observances in existence. Jewish people have been celebrating this for over 3,000 years. Now, I grew up, like I said, went to Toy Pines, and I had a lot of Jewish friends. I'm not Jewish myself, but I heard about them going and celebrating Passover. But I never celebrated Passover growing up. None of my other Christian friends celebrated Passover growing up. Oftentimes, we think that Christianity is way over here and Judaism is way over here and never shall the two meet. Well, tonight, we need to have a little bit different perspective. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Jewish roots of our faith in Jesus, the Messiah. How there really should not and there is not a division between the Jewish roots of our faith and our faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And I want to get your, get your thinking cap on with this exercise, okay? The Virgin Mary was not a Catholic. And John was not a Baptist. And Jesus was not a Christian. What were they? They were all Jewish. And as Jews, they would have celebrated this Passover Seder their entire life, every single year. They were intimately familiar with many of the things that we are going to be talking about tonight. In fact, if Jesus was going to be our sinless Messiah, he had to celebrate this every single year of his life. Because as a Jewish man, he was born under the covenant of the Torah. And the Torah requires every Jewish man and woman to celebrate this every single year. It would have been sin for Jesus not to celebrate this every year. And so if Jesus was familiar with this, if his disciples were familiar with this because they were all good Jewish boys, why are we in the church oftentimes so unfamiliar with this? And even deeper than that, why is it that Jesus chose to use this table to proclaim his life, his death, and yes, even his resurrection during his last supper, the last night that he was alive before his crucifixion. There are answers to these questions. There's a deep meaning to why Yeshua chose to use this Passover meal. You guys ready to get going? Yes. Okay. 
Now, a traditional Jewish Passover Seder takes around four hours to do, so you guys are ready to be here until like 11, right? No, we're going to be doing the abbreviated version. We're going to be cutting some things out. We're going to be streamlining. If you want the full shebang, I would encourage you to pa- uh, uh, pick up a Haggadah, which is a Jewish liturgical um, thing that you can read through with your family at home, and you can go through the whole thing. But tonight, we are going to be doing the abbreviated version. Now, the first thing that we need to do before we can celebrate the Passover is we need to get rid of all of the leaven or the yeast from the house. Now, did you guys get that really important instruction, that really important memo that went out that all of you were supposed to clean out the entire sanctuary of all of the leftover bread and, the, and all, all of the leftover bagels and pizza from youth group? You had to get rid of all of that from the house, right? No, okay, well we'll, well, we'll just pretend, because tonight, this is our house. We're not at church anymore. This is our house, and you need to imagine that I am your grandpa. Now, I know that may be a little difficult for some of you to imagine, but all of you are now sitting around our extended family dinner table at home. We are not at church. We are not at the synagogue. Jewish people don't celebrate the Passover at the synagogue. They celebrate it with their families. And so now that we have gotten rid of all of the leaven from the house, we can begin. Now, the way that we begin the the Passover is by the lighting of the candles. And this is the role of the woman of the household. This is something that I cannot do. Even though I'm going to be leading the Seder or the, the service for the rest of the time, I cannot actually begin it. And so I would like to invite Mrs. Lita Hill to come up here and to light the Passover candles for us. Yes, thank you, Lita. And I do want to let you know that Lita is about to start teaching the intro to biblical Hebrew course for the Bible college here. It starts on April 19th, and it will go for 15 weeks. And if you want to sign up for it, go to maranathabiblecollege.org, and she's an awesome teacher. Thank you, Lita. Go ahead and say the Hebrew blessing and begin our service. I don't think Jesus had to deal with the AC at his Last Supper. I don't have a microphone, so I will yell the blessing. Amen. Thank you, Lita. I think it's very appropriate that it's the woman of the household who lights the candles. Because the idea of light in Judaism is the same as the idea of light in Christianity. Because Christianity is Jewish. The idea is that light is a symbol of God's presence. That we are inviting God to be in our midst as we light the candles. And as we learn in the New Testament, God had a special role for a woman to bring the light of the world into the world. It was through Mary that God brought the Messiah to all of us. Yes, the focus was on Jesus for the rest of his life, but nothing could have begun unless Mary had said, yes, I am your humble servant. I will do as you have asked. And so I think it's very appropriate that we begin the Seder with the woman lighting the candles. Now, the Passover is structured around four separate cups of wine. We've got them illustrated up here. And uh, I said a special blessing over the wine that miraculously turned it into grape juice tonight. But let's just say that that prayer is not prayed around a normal Jewish Seder table. And so that means it gets a little interesting by the end of tonight, uh, end of the night. But tonight, we're not going to have that. We've got grape juice here. And there is a uh, special meaning of each of the cups. And there is a traditional blessing that is sung over it. This first one is called the Kiddush, or the cup of blessing. And there is a traditional Hebrew blessing that goes like this. 
Barukata Adonai, Eloheinu Melakaolam, Bore Prihagafen. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, the creator of the fruit of the vine. Amen. Have you ever stopped to consider why you say a Hebrew word at the end of every single one of your prayers? What does amen mean? It means truly or may it be. Now, who taught you to say a Hebrew word? Why don't you say let it be? Maybe you were taught by your pastor or by your parents. But who taught them? And who taught them? If you go back far enough, you get to the first Gentile who ever prayed to the God of Israel. And who taught that first Gentile to say amen at the end of their prayers? A Jewish believer in Jesus. Your very prayers are a testimony to the Jewishness of your faith. Now is the time of the telling of the Passover story. Jewish people are commanded to tell the Passover story every single year, and this is a time of great reflection on what has happened in the past, and also great hope for what will happen in the future. Much of the story comes from Exodus chapter 12, and I would encourage you in your Bible reading this week to open up to Exodus chapter 12, and you will see many of the elements that are up here on the table mentioned in Exodus chapter 12. The Passover is a story of God redeeming his people from the land of slavery, from the, from the hand of Pharaoh, how God sent Moses in to confront Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hard. God, through Moses, sent 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt, but that last plague, it was different. It was the worst. All the other plagues were only against the nation of Egypt. But that last plague, it was against everybody, unless, unless the people decided to listen to God through Moses and to sacrifice a year-old lamb and take its blood and paint it on the doorposts and the lintel of their home. And if they trusted in the blood of the lamb to rescue them from the plague, then God would pass over their home and they would not lose their firstborn sons. Israel trusted God. Israel listened. Egypt did not. And that broke the will of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh sent the people out into the desert. Israel was now free, redeemed, no longer in bondage. Now they were streaming towards Mount Sinai, ready to get the Torah and get a revelation of God's heart. This is such a beautiful story that Jewish people love telling, but they love telling it not only for the reflection in the back, looking back behind, but also what this teaches them about their future. There are so many prophecies that God has given the people of Israel that have not yet been fulfilled. In the same way that back in Egypt, God had already pro uh, promised that he would rescue the people from slavery but it took 400 years. Put yourself in their shoes. 400 years of no redemption. Would you be tempted to not trust God anymore? Would you maybe think that the gods of Egypt are more powerful than the God of Israel? You see, the story of Passover reminds Jewish people that if God has promised it, he will accomplish it. It does not matter how much time it takes, how bleak life looks, God will accomplish it. Life oftentimes looks very bleak for Jewish people. They have been in exile for thousands of years under anti-Semitic kings, kingdoms, caliphs. They have suffered greatly. And yet, they know that in the scriptures, it prophesies a day where one day they will be brought back to the land of Israel and Messiah will come and who will be leading the Passover Seder then? Messiah in Jerusalem. And so the Passover Seder is a time to look forward with hope and faith that as God redeemed Israel in the past, so too he will redeem Israel in the future. Again, I would encourage you, to read Exodus chapter 12 for a more detailed description of what we are about to do. But now we are going to 
retell the story in a different way, through our senses, through our taste buds. We're going to tell the story through the elements on the table. The first thing that we're going to do is the carpas, or the greens. And if I might mention, I have the elements here on this glass plate, but it is typically placed on a beautiful Seder plate like we have up here. And there is a different compartment with the Hebrew name for each of the elements up here on the plate. And uh, this first one is called the carpas. This is typically parsley, and it is a symbol of life. It's green, it's beautiful. It also represents the hyssop branches that the Israelites used to dip into the lamb's blood and paint on the doorposts and lintel of their homes. The tradition is to take the parsley and to dip it into the salt water and then eat it. And it's not supposed to taste good. In fact, it's supposed to remind you of the bitterness of slavery, the tears that come from being a slave in Egypt for 400 years. You see, the Jewish people know that even if you are God's chosen people, even if God has made a covenant with you, even if he has promises that he will never leave you or forsake you, you will still suffer in this life. The Jewish people know that there is no such thing as a prosperity gospel, even if you are in relationship with God. The next thing that we'll talk about is the matzatash. This is a bag with three compartments, and in each one of the compartments, there is a piece of matzah. The tradition is, is to take the middle piece of matzah, not the first, not the third, but the middle piece of matzah, and to take it up. Now, what is matzah? Matzah is bread made without yeast. Yeast is a symbol for sin because yeast works by decomposition. That's how it bubbles up and makes the bread rise. In the same way, Jewish people eat bread made without yeast to symbolize how they want to come to the Passover without active sin in their lives or in their homes. And so this matzah is pierced and it is striped and it is flat like a cracker. And the tradition is, is to take the matzah and to sing a traditional Hebrew blessing that goes like this. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings up bread from the earth. Amen. The tradition is, is to take half of that matzah and to wrap it in a napkin. Take the other half and place it back into the middle compartment of the matzatash. Now this is no longer matzah. This is now called the afikomen. Everyone say with me, afikomen. Now you may think that you just learned another Hebrew word for the night, but it's Greek to you. Ha 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 ha. Yes, this is a Greek word. Now nobody knows when this tradition actually originated. We don't actually know where this bag comes from, the, the three compartments, why half of it is broken, or it's broken into half, why it's wrapped. And what's really mysterious is why is it that this afikomen is now given to dad and dad goes running off into the house and he hides it somewhere. No, you're not supposed to know. It's hidden. It's off in the house. Because after dinner, all the kids get to go run off into the house and find the hidden afikomen. It's like a Jewish Easter egg hunt. It keeps all the kids awake. They are so excited. And they want to be the one to get the prize because of prize from dad. Not only the prize from dad, but also the priceless gift of being able to gloat over your brothers and sisters and cousins for an entire year. That's what they're really looking forward to. So we'll come back to the hidden afikomen a little bit later. Next thing is the second cup, the cup of judgment. This is when we remind ourselves of the 10 plagues that God brought upon the nation of Egypt. This is not something that Jewish people are celebrating. This is actually a really sad cup. They know, Jewish people recognize, that it would have been better for Pharaoh and the Egyptians to humble themselves and to listen 
to God through Moses. Instead, they experienced the 10 plagues. And that is a very sad, sad story. And so we take this wine, which is a symbol of joy, and we take our pinky, and we remove a drop of wine for every single one of the plagues as we recite them after me. So I'm going to say the name of the plague, and you guys are going to repeat after me. Here we go. Blood. Blood. Frogs. Frogs. Vermin. Vermin. Flies. Flies. Pestilence. Pestilence. Boils. Boils. Hail. Hail. Locusts. Darkness, Darkness. slaying the firstborn. And we sing that same traditional Hebrew blessing, and we drink the second cup, the cup of judgment. Now is the time of the service, or the Seder, that you remember the most if you have ever celebrated the Passover before. That is the maror, or the bitter herb. It's one of the requirements in Exodus chapter 12 that you must eat the bitter herb. And the rabbis were having a discussion one day and they said, why is it that we eat the bitter herb? They said, well, it's a reminder of the bitterness of slavery. Now, I need to keep preaching up here without having my sinuses on fire after eating the horseradish, which is the bitter herb. And so I have invited Pastor Ryan and his daughter to come up here and to be our guinea pigs tonight. So everyone give them a round of applause. Did you guys know what you were getting into? No, okay, here we go. So I want you to take one piece of matzah, and then we've got this horseradish, this white pasty substance, you can see it on the camera there, and I want you to dip your matzah each into the horseradish. A big chunk, you wanna get a big chunk on there. Yeah, bigger, bigger. Uh, don't eat it yet, don't eat it. We're gonna suffer together, okay? Okay. <laughs> Now the rabbis were having a discussion one day and they said, how do we know if we put enough uh, bitter herb on our matzah? And they said, well, if you don't cry, you didn't put enough on. So you guys ready to show all of us? Why don't you come over here so the camera can see you a little bit better? Are you guys ready to show all of us how horrible slavery is? Okay, here we go. Echad, shtaim, shalosh. Yeah, it's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah, do you like slavery? No? I'm glad. I'm glad you don't. Maybe we should have given you a little... Oh, yeah, there we go. The sinuses, yeah, it's coming now. Uh, I hope you guys got the hot stuff, because that's, that's, the, that's the worst. Now we're going to have mercy on you, and there is this stuff that is called the charoset. Everyone say with me, charoset. If you said that correctly, you spat up on the person across from you. You, you got to get that guttural sound in Hebrew. Now, this is made out of apples and nuts and honey and cinnamon. This is really good tasting stuff. And so now I want you guys to take your piece of matzah and get a really big chunk of this. Really big chunk. Help wash down. That. Yeah, you can go ahead and eat. Oh, oh we, we had a fatality on the matzah. There, there we go. How was that? Much better. M much better? Yeah, okay. Everyone give them a round of applause. Thank you. Now, the rabbis were having a discussion. They said, well, what does this haroset symbolize? And they said, this is a symbol for the mortar that the Israelites used to make bricks while slaves in Egypt. And they said, well, why is it that we remember something as horrible as the means of our slavery was something that tastes so sweet. And they said that is a reminder that even in the bitterest of times, the sweetness of God is near. Isn't that true? Yes. Now we'll talk about the shank bone of a lamb. This is on every single Jewish Passover Seder table today as a reminder of the lambs that used to be sacrificed during the time of the temple. Now, this was not on Jesus' Last Supper table 2,000 years ago. 
He didn't have a meatless lamb shank bone on his table. Instead, he sent Peter and John ahead of him to go get a lamb, go to the priest, go to the temple, have it be sacrificed, and then bring it back to the upper room where they had a full lamb meal that last supper. We know what was on the menu. But most Jewish people, Ashkenazi Jewish people, do not eat lamb during Passover anymore, even though it is required in the Torah to eat lamb on Passover. Why is that? Say it's against Jewish law today, but it's in the Torah. Well, there's only one place on the entire earth where you are allowed to sacrifice. At first, that was the tabernacle, which was mobile, and then the tabernacle was moved to Jerusalem, and it was turned into the temple. That is the only appointed place where you can sacrifice. Now, if you're required to sacrifice a Passover lamb on Passover, you have to do it in Jerusalem. But you need to have a temple in Jerusalem. But ever since 70 AD, there has been no temple in Jerusalem ever since the Romans came in and destroyed the city. And so if there's no place to do the sacrifices, you can't have lamb on Passover. And so to remind themselves, they put a shank bone on the plate to remind them of how they used to have lamb on Passover. They also take an egg, hard-boiled egg, and place that on the plate as well. This is a reminder of the life that used to be sacrificed at the temple beyond just the lambs, because there were bulls, and there were goats, and there were pigeons. And so both of these, the egg and the shank bone, are reminders of how much Judaism has changed in the last 2,000 years. You can't just read the Old Testament. You can't just read the Torah and say, this is what Jewish practice is today. A lot has changed. So now is the time for dinner, where we break down everything here. We kind of push it off to the side, and mom comes out from the kitchen with, with matzo ball soup and uh, baked chicken and gefilte fish and chopped liver, you know, all that stuff that you guys just love, right? And every, no pork, no shellfish, and everybody has a huge feast together. And one of the requirements is that you're supposed to eat all of the matzah on the table. That is a substitute for the commandment in the Torah that you are to eat all the lamb and leave none of it till morning. So they substitute that to the matzah in the matzatosh, which means that the only matzah that is left in the house at the end of the Seder is where? It's hidden. So at the end of the dinner, all the kids go run off into the house and they find the hidden afikomen and they bring it back to dad. Dad, unfurls it and then breaks it into small little pieces and gives it to everybody in attendance. And as everyone's eating it, they're supposed to think of this as the dessert of desserts. Because when they eat this, this is fulfilling the mitzvah or the commandment to eat the unleavened bread, the matzah, during the Passover. So you're supposed to think about how God will bless you for an entire year because you have fulfilled the commandment. And so we eat the afikomen. Now, after we've had the meal and we've had the matzah, now we take the third cup, which is called the cup of redemption. We are no longer slaves in Egypt. Now we have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Moses has taken us out of the land of our captivity. Now we are going out into the Sinai desert, and now we are a nation that has been freed from our oppressors. And so we drink with the Hebrew blessing, the third cup, the cup of redemption. Now what better way to celebrate our freedom from slavery than by having a worship service? So now the whole family comes together and they get the, the Psalms, Psalm 113 through 118. These Psalms are all about God redeeming his people, his outstretched arm, his strong arm, redeeming Israel. And the whole family sings and chants the Psalms in the original Hebrew. And I would encourage you to read uh, them in your Bible this week as well. And then after that family worship service, take the fourth and the final cup. This is called the cup of praise because we're praising God for the salvation 
that he has brought us from our enemies, and we drink. Now there's one last thing that we have to do before the traditional Jewish Passover Seder is complete, and we alluded to it before. It's for all of us to say in unison, next year in Jerusalem. Because of course, we're all looking forward to next year being the year that we don't celebrate the Seder in San Diego. Next year is the year that we are in Jerusalem with Messiah leading the service. So let's all say in unison, next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. And with that, the traditional Jewish Passover Seder is complete. But what have we just done? What does this have to do with us as followers of Yeshua, the Messiah? Well, let me give you a hint. Remember that great dinner that we had? Remember that awesome matzo ball soup that mom just brought out? Remember after dinner, we ate some bread and we drank some wine? Does that remind you of anything anywhere in the New Testament? Because it should. Why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 7. Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat it. Pause. Now you know, a little bit better, what Jesus was asking Peter and John to go do. Hey, Peter and John, go into Jerusalem. Go to the market. Go get some matzah. Go get the bitter herb. Go buy a year-old lamb. Take them to the, to the temple. And then bring them to the upper room. Let's have a party. Let's have a feast. It takes a lot of preparation. And Jesus tasked Peter and John to go do all of that. Let's skip down to verse 14. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was taking already existing elements from the traditional Jewish Passover Seder, and he was saying that these are talking about me. I am the fulfillment of the bread and of the cup. What was Jesus saying? What is he trying to communicate to us? And why are we to celebrate this as communion often? reminding ourselves of him and his sacrifice. Let's look at each of these first with the bread. This is not regular bread. This is bread made without yeast. This is matzah. In the same way that the gospel in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53, said that the Messiah would be sinless. He would never do violence and never tell a lie. Now, how many of you have never told a lie? If you raise your hand, I would say, liar! <laughs> All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have that decontamination of the yeast, of the sin in our hearts. But the Messiah would be sinless. This bread is also pierced. Like the Gospel in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53, says that the Messiah would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace would be upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This bread is sharing 
and telling us the price of our redemption, a broken, crushed, killed, sinless Messiah on our behalf to give us shalom, peace. But this isn't just regular matzah I have here. This is actually the afikomen. Do you guys remember where the afikomen came from? From this bag. Now this bag is called the matzatash, but again, it's shrouded in mystery. The rabbis have lots of conversations about the symbolism of this bag. Some of them say that this refers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that Isaac was told to be sacrificed up on Mount Moriah. He suffered just as that middle piece suffers through being broken. Others say that this is three in one because you've got God and then the priests and then Israel with the priests in the middle between God and Israel being a mediator. Some, the more mystical, say that the three in one are the top is the spiritual, the bottom is the physical, and the middle is humanity, which are both physical and spiritual at the same time. But I don't know if you've heard, if you get two rabbis arguing about something in the Talmud, they always end up with at least three opinions. Nobody can agree. And so I think that Messianic Jewish people have perhaps a better understanding of the symbolism of this bag. Perhaps this is not talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob specifically, but about the greater Isaac, who was also commanded to be sacrificed on Mount Moriah, but actually went through it. Perhaps this is not just about the priests being a mediator between God and man, but about the great high priest, Yeshua the Messiah, who is the true mediator between God and man. And perhaps this is not just about humanity being both physical and spiritual at the same time, but in the incarnation of the Son of God, who is uniquely divine and human, mysteriously at the same time, that heaven and earth are bridged in an amazing way. Messianic Jews oftentimes talk about how this also, perhaps, is a symbol of the diversity within the unity of God. That we believe in one God, but he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was not the Father who was broken for us. It was not the Spirit who bled on that tree, but it was God the Son who was taken by his Father and he was broken on that cross. And then his father took him and hid him in a tomb. Now I told you the end of the story before, right? I told you that at the end of the dinner, all the kids were gonna go run off into the house and find the hidden afikomen. Jesus did the same thing. He kept telling his disciples over and over again, I must go to Jerusalem. I must be betrayed. I must be crucified. And on the third day, I will rise from the dead. He told the disciples this over and over, and it went whoosh, right over their heads. It was like a supernatural blindness that they could not understand the words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth. And so when Jesus was hidden in that tomb, they thought, oh my goodness, we picked the wrong guy. We messed up. It's time to start walking to Emmaus with their heads low. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to bring us redemption. But is that the end of the story? No. Because on the third day, what was lost was found. Jesus rose from the dead on Resurrection Sunday. He was given back to his Father, who now gives him to us as the true bread of life, 
who does not bring blessing for just one year, but for all eternity. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Afikomen. Now again, I don't know exactly where this tradition comes from, but because this word, Afikomen, is Greek, and Jewish people only spoke Greek for several centuries before Jesus and several centuries after Jesus, it came about during that period. And so yes, I tend to believe that Jesus took this Afikomen on his last supper and said, this is my body, broken and given for you. Jesus also took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. No, Jesus is Jewish. And he's speaking to his Jewish disciples. When they hear the word blood, they think of one thing. The sacrificial system at the temple in Jerusalem. Where the blood of bulls and goats are sacrificed for the sins of the nation. But Jesus isn't saying this is the cup of the blood of bulls and goats. He's saying, this is my blood. Now, of course, this is symbolism. All of these things are symbols. This is not literally his blood. We shouldn't take it that way. This was wine that he was pointing to as a symbol of his blood. But he was still saying, this is my blood. He was saying that within 24 hours, I'm going to bleed upon that cross. And this is a symbol of my blood. He is telling his disciples that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, finally and forever, as the only one appointed by God because he is divine himself, who has the infinite power to be able to remove your sin forever. Amen. Jesus also said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Now again, his Jewish audience would have thought of one thing when he said that phrase. They would have thought of the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, where Jeremiah prophesied of a day when God would give a new covenant to the people of Israel, and it would be better than the covenant that God made with them at Sinai. Better than the Torah? Yes, even better than the Torah. Why? Jeremiah tells us, because this covenant will entail the forgiveness of sins. God will remember Israel sins no more. Now, I don't know how often you use the word covenant. I hope that you understand how important that word is to the storyline of Scripture. But if you're new to the understanding of a covenant, perhaps you're not new to the understanding of marriage. Marriage is somewhat a confusing topic these days. But it is not confusing in scripture. God intended marriage to be a lifelong covenant or a relationship, an unbreakable bond between one woman and one man for life. And it is supposed to be a symbol or a pattern of the relationship between God and man. That is what marriage is supposed to be. Now we understand in marriage customs today, as it has been in marriage customs for a very long time, that you don't enter into a marriage covenant without proving your intentions. And we do that in our own marriage customs today. If the husband-to-be wants to propose marriage to his girlfriend, what has he got to do? He's got to not buy that new car, not buy that Xbox, he has to actually get a job and save up to get a really expensive rock to put on his girlfriend's finger. And why a rock? Because its value proves to her, shows her that he is willing to say no to himself, he is willing to put her first, that he is willing to put their future children first, and that he is trustworthy with his intentions. Now what would happen if the boyfriend takes the girlfriend out to dinner one night and he gets down on one knee and he whips out a plastic ring from a Cracker Jack box. What would that communicate to his girlfriend? Get out of there! Run for the hills! He doesn't care about you. He's not willing to give up anything for you. Can you really trust him? Jesus is doing the exact opposite. 
In Scripture, the relationship between Jesus and the church is called a marriage. And when was that marriage first proposed? It was this night, the Last Supper, when Jesus offered a new covenant, a new marriage relationship between himself and you. Have you accepted his proposal? Have you said, I do, to Jesus? Is that the way that you view your relationship with him? Not one of duties, have-tos, church attendance, things you have to believe, but an intimate, deep, dependent relationship of husband to spouse. That is what we are called to as followers of Jesus. Is that what your Christianity is tonight? That is what Jesus offers us, a life-giving marital relationship with us. And so what are we doing when we take the bread and the cup? Yes, we are reminding ourselves of Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. We are to come to the communion table, repenting of our sins and thanking Jesus for the salvation that he has brought us through his atonement. But I propose that we are also renewing our vows to Jesus. We are saying, I still do, Jesus. Ever since I was first born again and I accepted your marriage proposal, I am still in this today. And so as you take communion, may you enter into that intimate relationship with Jesus that you first had when you first accepted that he is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, there's one last thing that I want to talk about before we end tonight, and that is this empty place setting over here. We've got some pillows on the table, on the chair, if you can't see. We've got an empty place setting. This is set up on every single Jewish Passover Seder table. No one sits here because this is Elijah's chair. According to Jewish tradition, Elijah will come on the night of Passover and will announce the coming of the Messiah. And so at a certain point in the service, the kids get to go run off to the front door and open it up and look both ways. And if Elijah's there, well, come on over, Elijah. We got a seat for you. We're ready for the Messianic era to begin. Now, you guys know your Hebrew scriptures. Are the Jewish people correct in expecting that Elijah will come and announce the coming of Messiah? Yes, they are correct. If you go to the end of the book of Malachi, it says that Elijah will come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's why when Jesus was walking around Judea teaching and preaching, all these Jewish people kept on coming up to him and saying, are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? And what did he say? He said, sorry, you got the wrong guy. But my relative over there, John the Baptist, he was the Elijah who was to come. And he is the one who is announcing me. I am the Messiah that he is announcing. So when we come to this empty place setting, this should break our hearts. The Jewish people are looking for an Elijah who has already come who will announce a Messiah who has already come. We are looking for the Messiah's second coming, his return. He has already come, God in the flesh, to be with us. Jewish people are this close, yet this far from seeing their Messiah. They celebrate this Passover every single year, and yet they do not know that this very table proclaims the life and the death and even the resurrection of their Messiah. But how will they know unless someone tells them? And how can someone tell them unless they are sent? That is my passion from Romans chapter 10, to be an evangelist to the Jewish people. And I want to thank you as my Maranatha friends for enabling me to do my ministry. 
I would encourage you again to stay connected with me. Fill out those forms so I can send you my prayer letter every month so you know how to pray for me. I hope to see you again in Maranatha now that I am local. I'm not on the other side of the country. And I want to thank you so much for having me here tonight and celebrating this Passover with me. Why don't we close our heads and bow our hands. Thank you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for being that humble servant willing to go all the way to the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace, for your atoning power. We pray, Lord, that as we celebrate communion from now on, that you would be near, that you would remind us of your covenant faithfulness to us, and that we would experience that intimacy and relationship with you from now to the end of our days. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.